Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. This week, I'm delighted to be joined by Danny Priscal. Danny is a senior partner at Priscal & Co. LLP, a boutique law firm he co-founded, which is recognized for its expertise in technology and telecoms. Danny has been independently recognized as one of Europe's leading telecoms and technology lawyers since 1998. He was also recently ranked as one of only seven telecoms global thought leaders by the Who's Who Legal. Danny was previously vice chair of the IBA Communications Law Committee and founder of the International MVNXOX Association. His previous experience includes working as an investment banker in Deutsche Morgan's Grenfell's telecoms team. Danny is also a board trustee of a hundred year old educational charity, the English Speaking Union, whose mission is to give young people the speaking and listening skills and cultural understanding they need to thrive. So, a very, very warm welcome, Danny. Rob, a real pleasure to be here on your uh, amazing podcast. It's an honour to be here. An absolute pleasure to have you. Before we dive into all your amazing achievements and legal experiences to date, we do have a customary question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is a bit of fun. On the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, what would you rate the hit TV series Suits in terms of its reality? Yeah, I would say 8, actually. I would guess for Chicago, because it is very different to, you know, the boutique telecoms firm or Magic Circle firm in, in London where I've worked in the past. But I think if I was imagining a Chicago-based firm, which is, I think, where it is, I, I would think it's pretty, pretty damn close. There we go. Okay, it's nice to have a high, high number. So there we are. All right, let's start at the beginning, Danny. Tell our listeners a bit about your family background and upbringing. Oh, gosh. I'd like to say I was from an impoverished background and uh, very woke, but uh, no, I um, went to, um, you know, amazing uh, prep school in London, North London. I'm quite rare, actually, in London. I am a Londoner and, you know, people are shocked. (laughs) And they're quite shocked to meet an English person, but to actually meet someone who's born in London is a real rarity in the city. So I'm a a rare Londoner working here, but um, went to local private schools and had a great time. A a lot of, um, I think about half my year didn't make their A-level grades, but I was one of the few that uh, was lucky enough to be accepted to uh, study law at Jesus College in Cambridge. And I had a fantastic gap year. And... That is highly recommended to uh, <laughs> your younger listeners. And actually, I got um, on that. I did get the benefit of an English-speaking union scholarship, which uh, paid for me to study in one of the top schools in uh, in, in America. And I'll never forget that uh, experience that, that, that it gave me. And uh, one thing it did also make me realize is how limited our education is in this country in terms of the absurdity of just doing three subjects for A-level. I know people sometimes doing four, but uh, yes, I got in. I did math, physics, chemistry, and in my my day, there was S level and the Cambridge exams. And so you're taking you're doing degree level maths, chemistry, and physics at that stage. A year after gap, you've forgotten it all. <laughs> you're back to <laughs> you haven't done any history, international English literature, languages. So I think that taking gap year to uh, make up for some of the learning deficiencies that we have in our system, which is uh, much heralded, is something to uh, that, that, that became abundantly clear to me. And uh, maybe if I had the benefit of some of the English-speaking union, public debating expertise, 
that would have helped my uh, neighbour in London, one incredibly successful bright barrister from one Essex court, one of the probably most successful of his age, actually was uh, yes. English speaking union debating champions. So uh, a little plug for the charity. So it, it stood him yeah. in, in good stead. So I'm happy to give back as a trustee of that board. But that kind of gives you, you know, a, a bit, bit of the background. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And then sort of as we, we, we progress then, we mentioned in your introduction before setting up your firm, you worked as an investment banker. So what was that like? Yeah, I have to say I had a, a love for uh, international communication and I'm, I'm really old where, you know, I remember it was prohibitively expensive for my best friend to call his girlfriend in Liverpool. In the uh, 80s, it was like 55p a minute to call Liverpool. You know, something that was yeah. absurd. You know, it was a few pounds a minute to call India. And, you know, I had friends all over the world. And you're talking about pounds per minute to call. Yeah. So I kind of um, really got the telecommunications bug. And I had a self-interest in terms of uh, allowing myself to communicate with friends around the world. And, uh, you know, I, I got the bug. I love the industry. And I have to say... Uh, a couple of years working in the telecoms department of one of the magic circle firms. I thought it'd put me off law for life. It, it, <laughs> experience does put off quite a few lawyers, but I've certainly put some off private practice, but I decided I want to get into the industry. And um, I was actually thinking of an MBA, to be fair, uh, to get into the industry. But then I, I actually got the job I was hoping to get, potentially get at the end of the MBA. So I thought, well, I'll spend all this money on an MBA and potentially not get the job that I want, whereas it's been offered um, at the moment. So I went into telecoms investment banking and really, really enjoyed it for a while. But when Morgan Grenfell, which is a, a real uh, English institution, older than the English-speaking union, a real merchant bank in the good old days, yeah. lovely place, <laughs> was um, fully integrated uh, into Deutsche Bank, I realised that I wanted to be in a... Uh, much more smaller outfit and a much more in control of my own destiny. So I went actually back. I was thinking of um, potentially co-founding a law firm then, but I had the opportunity to co-found a telecoms department in a small law firm in the city, which had about eight or nine equity partners. And uh, we, we built it up into one of the one of the largest telecoms regulatory practices. And it was, uh, it was great. Yeah, absolutely. And you have achieved a, a huge amount of success. So that leads me to tell us more about your current firm, you know, Priscal & Co. Tell us more about it. Tell us more about what you do. Well, we started off, I would say, as, um, you know, quite a specialist telecoms firm, which we are there. But uh, over the years, it's uh, grown. And also the company's needing technology. So we're actually, for example, acting for one of the largest German car manufacturers, why does a car manufacturer need telecoms lawyers? Because they're putting SIM cards into yeah. cars and they're connecting. And when you have large companies, they have fleets of cars. They're all connecting and talking. So they've got SIM cards and that needs to comply with, um, you know, to telecommunications law. And then through telecoms, you get into, uh, big data. I mean, the data the telecoms companies have about individuals huge. That gets into, uh, ID verification, there's, you know, two factor, you get text messages to verify for all, all sorts of uh, security. There's a lot of anti-fraud going in there. So we're seeing increasing amount of that and then big data, GDPR. And then we have big fashion brands come to us 
Uh, they're not coming to us because of our knowledge of the catwalk, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, they, they come to us, you know, for actually uh, e- either the um, GDPR data privacy work or the big IT contracts they have. And sometimes actually on the intellectual property disputes where, uh, for example, um, a model's been photographed in a particular dress and people are tweeting it and the photographer or the uh, newspaper said, we, we've had this exclusive deal with this particular model and although you weren't allowed to tweet it. So it, it does branch out very, very quickly into other sectors. And then we've had CEOs, CFOs of telecoms companies who've then gone into other industries and they, for example, food retail restaurants, one of the big telecoms investment bankers set up a you know, big, big food retail company and uh, they've instructed us and then all the food companies suddenly instruct us. So say now we're about 75% telecoms technology, but every company has technology. Every, every company now is selling through, um, they can sell through a tablet or a mobile phone and they, they need technology and they've all got personal data. So it, it, it can be anything. Yeah, great space to be in. And as you mentioned, the sort of firm, you know, specializes in that technology, telecoms, you mentioned, touched on there, some corporate commercial regulatory aspects as well. What would you say are some of the pros and cons maybe of being a specialist firm? The pros is you're working in the area you love working in. I think that's very important for any lawyer, if they can get into an area where, where they can enjoy it. A lot of lawyers don't succeed, aren't lucky enough. You know, they, they do their training contract and have to take a position in a department that they're offered by the firm and they can get money, especially if they're in a big firm. Then they get into a trap where they get sucked into some pretty dry area of law. They're getting paid well, but then they become too specialized too quickly in an area they don't enjoy and then they can't move because they're on too high a salary and their expertise is not transferable. So they'd have to really start at the start again. So I would urge any young lawyers newly qualified, you know, I think within one or two years of qualifying, you've got to try to try to get into an area of law that you enjoy it. Yeah, great advice. It does get more enjoyable generally as you get better because you get more more expertise and people come. So even if you don't, if you really can't stand it earlier, you might actually enjoy it later on as you get to know more about what you're doing and clients come to you directly. But um, I think that that's uh, one of the tips. But in terms of the disadvantage, if you're not doing the listed private equity billion-dollar deals, then you're not getting the revenues yeah. that come with those. So it is hard to pay what the U.S. firms are, are paying. I actually think that with the weak pound and strong dollar, which may have been contributed to by Brexit, gave the US law firms a very, very big advantage because they're thinking of matching Wall Street dollar salaries in the city. And that makes it very hard for the uh, British firms to compete once those dollar salaries are converted into pounds. So if you don't have those billion dollar deals, it is harder. But I, I think it's also hard for some quite large Mid-size, you know, when I say mid-size firms, there's 600, 700 lawyers even in the UK to compete with with the US law firm. So you have to have that extra element to make it more enjoyable. So, which bizarrely enough gives the boutiques an advantage over, I think, some of the larger UK firms that just can't pay those uh, US salaries. 
Yeah, really good advice. I think it's important to understand what's important to you. Um, because I think I read recently, you know, US law firms have had the highest number of um, record levels of UK lawyer hires, you know, which obviously signifies what you're saying there. But, you know, ultimately, you have to think about what's what's important to you and, and what's what you're looking for out of your career. Back to you then, Danny, how and why did you make the transition to co-found your own firm? And what advice would you give to somebody looking to set up their own law firm? Because we're seeing a lot of itchy partners at the moment that have been through the pandemic are thinking, maybe I can do this myself. So what would you say? I think for me as an industry guru, uh, I had a lot of companies come to me and in other firms, I had to you know, send my clients to a lot of other departments. And for those lawyers don't understand telecoms, you really got to find people in those departments. There may be some jealousy sometimes in, you know, in law firms, partners put their own clients ahead of clients coming in from maybe another department where there's some jealousy or just human nature. So it was getting um, a little bit frustrating in certain firms, just having to farm things out and just sit there waiting. Uh, for, yeah. for, for things to uh, come back on the clock and you know you just needed to be more in control and over the years I, I found I'd by understanding a lot more you know do, doing the, on the corporate works and what people are doing I felt I could do a lot a lot, lot more myself and you want to be in a firm that ultimately the focus is your area you know I, I, I think it is my you know if you are a top property lawyer I think it's good to be in a firm which is recognised for being really good at property and there's a sort of a drive and focus. Uh, you know, yeah. otherwise you're just a, you know, a service or department. And also it's good to be in a firm where there are other people who understand what you do. Telecoms is very, very technical and there are very, very few firms which have more than one leading telecoms partner in it. So it's quite a lonely place uh, for those people because no one understands them and probably stay face <laughs> so well clear or, you know, or you know, a telecoms lawyer at the partner's lunch. So, you know, it, 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 it can be very frustrating for people who are loan specialists in a particular firm. Cause, and also they're not, they're not learning from other people. They're not, it's not the focus. They're just a sort of, uh, some boffin. In, in a, <laughs> yeah. Well, in a corridor. So, uh, for me, you know, and being energized and people that understand the industry and the whole firm is geared to the sector makes it makes a huge, huge difference. And, uh, yeah, I'll say that is very, very important. And I see there are other employment boutiques who are thriving. Um, it's a group I knew very well. Another law firm got a sports boutique and, you know, they, you know, I think they, they, they love it. You know, before it's hard for them to get, you know, attention. That they felt that the right attention, and now the whole firm is dedicated to sports, be it sports or employment. And I, I think there are going to be more really good quality boutiques leading the way. But uh, I say we started in two thousand and three, so uh, like like to think that we we're one of the first, and we we're one of the first um, LLPs. I agree with you. I think there's definitely going to be more of an emergence of specialist boutique firms. And we've had a number feature on the show. We've had um, GQ Employment. We had Sophie Van Hegen, who obviously they're a very great employment boutique. We've had Morgan Sports Law. You referenced there about sports. So yeah, I see these, you know, I, I, I guess the businesses that have done very well of those who have kept within their niche, stayed in their lane, so to speak, and really kind of doubled down inch wide, mile deep in their vision. So that just mirrors everything you're saying there. Okay, so you co-founded your firm with your brother, Ronnie. 
Um, so why did you decide to do this? And how have you found running a family business, I guess? Yeah, good question. I mean, it obviously not, I don't know how relevant it is to other people setting up boutiques, whether they've got a sibling in their area of expertise, but it, but it is a bit of serendipity in terms of ha- how it happened. And I, I think I can share it amongst friends. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Many a year ago, so long ago that the, the country I was advising was still called Czechoslovakia as a unified uh, country. And I was in a, in a bar advising the, the Czechoslovakian government. And I was just saying to the, my boss, look, there's really things are get really going downhill at this uh, law firm. And there was a, corporate recession in the early 90s and many of the partners equity partners were leaving and he said you're right Danny uh, things aren't going well and I'm actually leaving myself I'm going to Denton's and I just told him oh that's funny my that's good my, my brother's a trainee there so what he then did uh, when he arrived at Denton's he basically grabbed my brother and said oi you you're coming and working for me and he was passed off with me to the clients. <laughs> <laughs> so my brother, who didn't want to do what his elder brother was doing, of course, he wanted to carve his own way, got yeah. grabbed into telecoms and people were saying to him, oh, Danny, nice to meet you again. <laughs> so um, that was kind of um, how it all worked. And then when, when he was there, he um, went on to secondment with BT, the, the general counsel, Tim Cowan, Ended up, you know, was a real star, well, is a star of telecoms, and eventually, uh, about six years ago, joined us. So it kind of all <laughs> So we ended up in telecoms. Ronnie also, he did, he did his MBA at INSEAD and then became European CEO of a telecoms content company. And then he ended up working at uh, Vodafone on business development. He was actually on BT on their mobile side as well all, all on business so he thought he'd um, successfully left the law as well and then he was looking for a startup I think you know that's obviously you're in technology that's what you do and I said though rather boringly why don't we just start up a law firm and uh, you know it, it just made sense for us to join forces and uh, we haven't looked back we're not Facebook though unfortunately right? <laughs> in terms of valuation uh, what I would say if you are looking for a startup at the moment, there, there, there aren't the exits so far, even though there are, um, you know, listed firms and read today that Rosenblatt's, uh, listed yes. firm read this week, they bought out memory crystal. They're still not the, um, not, not the mega multiples that one is hoping for, but, uh, maybe in future. There's definitely a trend, though, isn't it, with um, the Rosenblatt's and the Gateleys and those sort of firms. So it's going to be interesting to see what, what happens. Leading back onto your own journey then with, um, obviously, you co-founded it with your brother. Um, What key piece of advice would you give for anyone working in or running a family business, particularly within the legal sector? I was very lucky that, um, you know, my brother's probably the brightest people I've ever worked with. So that that, that helps. You could do the IT. Uh, It's very important. IT and finances, there, there is a lot of that to be done. And clearly, the more that you can do yourselves, the better, but it doesn't take much. And especially, and I guess the, the younger generation listening will probably be far better at IT than, uh, yeah, I, I certainly was. And, and the other thing is just to understand about how you're going to split the money. I, I actually say to anyone, don't become a partner in law firm. It doesn't matter if you're in a two partner firm or 150 partner firm. 
if you're going to be upset if you don't earn what you deserve. I can tell you, I can go to pretty much every partner in the city and they, I'm sure they can make a case for earning more than that they're, they're taking back. It's re- re- really odd because, you know, everyone can make a case that they deserve more. But unfortunately, yeah. there's only 1% of the part. We were just lucky. We, we just decided we're going to split it 50-50 and work hard. And that, that saves a lot of issues, I think. And that's a big advantage of doing it as a family because otherwise it's very, very difficult to measure who takes what. And the biggest issue is when you go in, you know, 50-50 with someone, someone maybe doesn't work as hard or doesn't bring in the clients and you've got to put in more funding. And it's when we're advising other businesses as well, it's always um, very important for shareholders of any business to understand what's going to happen if the revenue doesn't come in or the person's got to go abroad for a while not quite as bad now with uh, zoom and everything you can work more more remotely but i think that's the biggest thing in terms of uh, working out the profit the other word of warning is and again for nearly every business i've advised when you're leaving a big salary a lot of people they they don't understand what big firm machine is doing for them you know to get that salary in wire transfer at the end of the month i think when you set up on your own the bills come in on time, but the uh, payment <laughs> clients don't come in as regularly as the bill. You just have to be, be be ready for that. Yeah. I don't know if you found that, but it's amazing how the expenses come in on, t- on time <laughs> regularly. I think rarely clients paying on time. So I think you have to brace yourself to make sure that you, you know, cash flow planning and all of that good stuff and, and just really, really knowing your numbers is really important to any business. And so your firm has advised on matters, I believe, in around 22 countries and boasted clients you touched on there, BT. So tell us a little bit about this and essentially how you've managed to grow the company up to that scale. I think one of the disadvantages of our company, we haven't got actually a marketing team. So uh, SOS for any uh, marketing specialists out there. Um, so I mean, that, that, that is probably about 10 years out of date and we're probably uh, well over 100 countries now. And just one project we did was 92 countries. It's the beauty about telecoms. People launch it. It's just the services go globally. Something we do is uh, we provide a sort of international regulatory hub for general counsel so that they'll say, right, preschool, you know, we're rolling this out the following 55, 75 countries, you look after it and we'll, we'll do it. They'll say, we'll take care of the US maybe and we'll do the rest of the world. So what it means is we're working on a regular basis with lawyers across the globe. They like us because we're sending them very good clients and money <laughs> so you, you to uh, make, make friends and uh, contacts and it's uh, very interesting and that's the beauty of telecom. It's a uh, global business. and. Um, yeah, we, we, a lot of our work has nothing to do with the UK. We'll do deals between US and Mexican companies, Mexican companies and, you know, Brazilian companies, advising one of the large mobile phone manufacturers from uh, Korea on deals they're doing with Israeli high tech. Again, nothing to do with the UK and often even not with English law. They'll come to me and say, Danny, your telephone is This is, we're doing this in Israel, Mexico, Brazil, just look after it. Yeah. And you, you, you just there on the, the sort of marketing SOS, but I do believe the firm does run a blog on the website. So can you tell us more a bit about that and why you decided to do that? Because I think it's fascinating. Partly one of our 
lawyers, David Allen Green, who used to blog under Jack of Kent, is the most followed um, solicitor in social media. Yeah. Um, he's the uh, Financial Times, I think, most followed commentator now. And his his actual uh, podcast and videos on the FT.com are the most watched. And he's become kind of the leading Brexit commentator. So we, we kind of had the most followed lawyer. But he wanted to keep it separate. But obviously, that gave us the idea ages ago to, to have the blog. But we've got to be um, slightly careful about keeping it. He wanted to keep it slightly separate because he wanted to have a free reign to say what he liked about whatever company without any sort of uh, having to worry about what, what a law firm thinks. And that's often a, an issue for law firms managing their social media feeds, I guess, in terms of not upsetting their clients. Yes, um, exactly. So we, we let him do his work. And that's part of the flexibility we can offer. We offer um, a platform for lawyers and if they want to, work part-time or focused more some are budding artists you know we 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 give them a chance to spend more time than they could in other law firms on developing their art uh world or in terms of david allen green you know his uh, writing for his blog and the uh, financial times i've had someone at whitehall i've had a, a, a knighted person the most senior person in whitehall he's now so many times said don't give david any legal work we rely on his blogs to work out what's going on in Brexit. We don't. Yeah. It's more reliable than what we get told from the ministers. So, you know, he literally, I had a plea from them saying how, how much they, they, they value his input. So that, that comes back to why we have the blog, but we are careful. So there's a little bit of uh, very much watered down. Yeah. And I think that's the beauty of having a boutique firm, though, as you say, you can allow people who maybe have that sort of presence because it's good indirectly for the firm and giving people a chance to, you know, that's just a great visibility business development being out there. And it eventually will lead to something and artists again, as they grow, if they're in a happy environment, a happy workplace, good things will come from it from the wider networks down the line. So love that approach and your the way that you treat your people and, and you look after people. So on top of all of the stuff that you've been doing, you have recently been ranked, I believe, as one of only seven telecoms global thought leaders by who's who's legal. So how did you achieve that? They have their research, but, um, you know, I, I've been doing it for a long time. I was very lucky to, you know, going back to that, you know, when you were advising the Czechoslovakian government, that was 91, 92. That's a hell of a long time. Doing and I, yeah. I, I love the and I love the industry. So I speak at conferences. I go to events. I had to do a cost benefit analysis of every conference I go to. I take the view: if I go there, learn the industry, and be energized, that is worth more than the instruction. So by um, being in control of my own firm since two thousand three, I could go to these events and enjoy and be speaker without having to worry and justify whether it was worth the investment. I go to law firms, other lawyers, law firms, large firms couldn't send someone. They couldn't justify the expense. But for, for me, if it's interesting and I enjoy it and I'm energized, then that is uh, good. Yeah. And I think at the top, if you're energized, that flows down to all your staff. Something I found very demotivating at one of the magic circle firms is, um, you know, having a head of department who's so miserable, sleeping two or three nights a week under her desk, literally, in the office. I mean, 
when I say sleeping, she'd go to sleep about 3 a.m. and wake up about 5.30. So it wasn't long, but looking thoroughly miserable. It's very, very hard to um, work miserably, just brutal hours. If you think just to be as miserable as someone at the top of the pile, it's very demotivating. So some people say, oh, it's terrible. The partners are having a good time and, um, you know, you're miserable. But actually, I think it is important that for, the, for, for people, leaders to, to be full of life because it gives some people something to aspire for. And that positivity is important. Yeah. And I'm sure your team and colleague will see through you as being a positive and inspirational leader. I think that's hugely important. It's very nice to work in that environment. Energy is super important. Positivity, passion. You know, you're passionate about what you do. All of that mission, your value, your purpose will filter down and your tribe, if you like, your team will, will, will buy in. So I absolutely agree with that. And I believe the firm has advised on matters in over hundreds of countries around the world and boasted clients such as BT. Tell us a bit about this and essentially how you've managed to grow the company up to this level. You know, as I mentioned, you know, being in charge of your own boutique firm, uh, you don't have to uh, spend a lot of energy getting business trips approved or even personal trips uh, approved going through. It's just your own decision. I remember one of my trips was great. I went for a long weekend to uh, Rio for the World Cup final and um, obviously I had to take the Monday off. But what did I do? I arranged a meeting with in-house counsel that had uh, met me through previous conference I'd spoken at. And uh, amazingly enough, at that meeting, got instructed on uh, advising them on the Brazilian football league rights throughout Europe, which paid for my trip many, many times over. So really good things uh, can happen. But uh, I'm sure had I been at uh, another law firm, it would have been slightly harder to uh, approve that trip. But uh, as it as it was, you know, being energised, being able to travel like that, enjoy, meet people. And bizarrely enough, I, I got this incredible instruction, which, um, as I said, uh, made it all, all worthwhile and obviously fantastic uh, area to be involved with, with, uh, you know, streaming of, uh, football rights throughout multiple countries. There are a lot of good things you can do if you, if you get, if you get the balance right with the boutique. But I, I think for me, one blessing is not having to go to a management committee to, um, plead why, uh, you, you were going on such and such a trip. And, uh, I think that's hugely important. Great. I have a, a couple of final questions for you, Danny. As a firm who specializes in technology, how do you, and there's a big trend of legal tech, how do you choose legal tech that is right for your business? Yeah, good, good question. I mean, we are, bizarrely enough, it's not that mind blowing, you know, what, what we need, even though we're sort of telecoms lawyers, we, 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 we haven't got robots uh, going around. Actually, mm -hmm. our, our French network firm do have a robot going around through the um, lawyers asking them things. And actually, they, the lawyers find it a bit intrusive, bizarrely enough. But it is quite good when I, you know, when, when I go to their firm and we're greeted by one of the robots there, it's a gimmicky. But um, so far, we are a bit conservative on that because actually you need to provide a, a premium service and you've got to just make sure it works. Plus, you know, we, we don't have lots of people's support staff to really try. So we are... Yeah, you know, I, I don't think we're, we're we've got any more sexy software than uh, other ones, even though we are advising on AI and VR and all, all these things. So I, I have at least yeah ordered, ordered a virtual reality uh, headset recently, which I think is going to be important for my next talk. And actually, they are useful when I, when I do talk about virtual reality. It is important to have tried it because it 
it does really show the, the, the power of virtual reality. But uh, look, I, I think we shouldn't underestimate the technology behind Zoom and Microsoft Teams. There's a lot that goes on that's really made the economy uh, tick over. Loads of business and law firms have done well, completely down to um, Teams and, you know, the, the video calls. And, you know, people at home, just think where we would have been in lockdown if you couldn't have a video call. COVID, you know, it could have come 35 years ago where you had one telephone line per household. We've got a lot to thank for, even streaming Netflix. So we've got actually um, a leading film department now, and that's become because one of the top film lawyers in the uh, city, historically, Peter Daly, was looking for a home for his practice. This was a good home, and we've actually found that, for example, streaming of films through mobile phones needed telecoms lawyers. For example, if uh, Amazon Prime are doing a deal where you can watch Amazon Prime on your mobile phone without the data counting it to your allowance, those deals need telecoms regulatory approval. So we would advise on something like, like that. I guess that leads to my final question, really touching on it there. But what are you expecting to see in terms of um, legal tech trends for the rest of 2021? Do you expect to see a continuation of sort of technological um, adoption by the legal sector? I, I think the biggest trend is rather boring in terms of people working from home. It's been an amazing difference that we we're used to working from home remotely. So before lockdown. Those of our lawyers, consultants who are working from their homes in the countryside or even in Tuscany, lucky them, they weren't as integrated with the rest of the uh, team. You know, we've got some people part-time. We're a very good platform for mothers who want to spend time with, with their children and don't want to, can't afford that time commuting in. So we've, we've got people like that. So teams makes them so much an integral part of our law firms. So uh, I think the biggest technology is actually the Teams and Zoom, bizarrely enough, much more significant. I mean, I was playing tennis yesterday uh, with a partner in another law firm. that They've actually given up their very, very established law firm. Decades and decades, they've just given up their offices in central London. Unbelievable. They've just got like a, a few hot desks somewhere in a WeWork equivalent. I think that's more radical than a bit of software helping you produce a contract. You know, the fact that people can work remotely, not, not physically, far, far more effectively. Yeah. And I think it's a massive cultural shift as well, particularly for the legal sector for the benefit, you know, historically where it's been inflexible for whatever reasons it might be, particularly within the larger firms. I think this helps hopefully with the overall sort of work life balance, work life integration, all of those things that we're looking for just to sort of balance life and you know, kind of keep retention levels high within the legal sector. So people aren't just thinking it's not flexible enough to suit their career whilst going through families and everything else. And I think that's a really good point. Sometimes, you know, the most obvious points like that are the very important points. And I agree without Zooms and Teams, I hadn't even heard of Zoom last year, being frank with everybody. So it just shows, you know, what these things can do to keep businesses ticking over. Yeah, and I, I wonder how it's going to be, you know, in you in the recruitment business, for example. So traditionally, you've got, say, Lawyers working in a Birmingham office of a national firm will earn not as much as their equivalent in, in the city. But actually, if they're just working from their, from their living room, they could be 
technically working for the city office as well. So they could tell them well, I'm actually part of the firm. I'm connected into the same system. You yeah. know, and actually, there's another guy in my village who's also working from his living room, but why is he getting a city salary and I'm not? I'm getting a <laughs> salary. So I don't know how that's going to play out, but I think it you know, could play out the other way that um, clients may feel more comfortable, you know, clients in London uh, working with lawyers, say, based in Liverpool or, you know, Birmingham Leeds, where they, they'll get um, lower rates. So that, that that's the flip side, that there, there is more of a threat maybe to some of the London firms in terms of clients. Yeah, I think you're, you're a very valid point and probably a topic we need to cover in more detail on a separate podcast sometime. Yeah, so exactly. It's a great one for you. Thanks for that idea. Yeah. And I guess that just yeah, needs me to welcome. say thank you so much to you, Danny, for coming on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you, learning more about you, your journey, Priscilla & Co. So I guess from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, we want to wish you lots of continued success with the firm and all your future pursuits. But from all of us, over and out. Okay, real pleasure to be on. This week's review comes from Ellie2802, one of the best podcasts I've listened to. I love this podcast, so insightful and really interesting. One of the best I've listened to and keeps me wanting to hear more. Only a few episodes in and I'm loving it. Thank you so, so much, Ellie, for your kind words. We really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Legally Speaking podcast. If you enjoyed the show and want to help support us, remember to leave us a rating and review on Apple iTunes. You can also support the show and gain exclusive benefits, bonus content and much more by signing up to our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash Legally Speaking podcast. Thanks for listening.